do think that a senior product marketing person should be an early strategic hire because you really need to figure out how you are messaging that product. Do you have product market fit? If not, what will it take to get us there? Hopefully you do. And that's why you're expanding and hiring a product marketer at that point. Welcome back to Product Market Fit, a podcast for early stage founders and operators who are looking to level up their startup's growth. I'm your host, Moshe Poltrak, and my guest today is the amazing Mary Sheehan. Mary is the product marketing leader at Adobe for the Lightroom product line and is the author of The Pocket Guide to Product Launches. I highly recommend the book as I absolutely loved how tactical it is, and I really enjoyed digging further into the topic of product launches with her on today's podcast, among other topics. Launches are such an underutilized tactic for startups, so hopefully this episode gives you the practical knowledge to go out there and leverage launches for your company. And if you're interested in this topic, you should also check out episode 18 when I interviewed Derek Osgood, the founder and CEO of Ignition. A couple of acronyms that I wanted to define for you. PMM is used a lot in this episode and refers to a product marketing manager. Don't worry, I ask Mary to define the role because it is often misunderstood. Also, Mary references a PRD, which is a product requirements document. If you're enjoying this podcast, it would mean a lot to me if you could leave a positive review in Apple Podcasts. Either way, I always love to hear from you, so email me at hello at pmfpod.com or reach out on LinkedIn or Twitter. The Product Market Fit Podcast is brought to you by growth.co. That's growth without the O.co. Growth offers fractional CMOs paired with best-in-class digital marketing execution to support early-stage startup success. With a focus on seed and Series A companies, Growth has helped a number of SaaS, digital health, and e-commerce startups build their go-to-market function and scale up. To learn more and book a free consultation, go to growth.co, that's G-R-W-T-H dot C-O. Without further ado, I present my conversation with Mary Sheehan. Hello, Mary. Welcome. I am so excited to have you on today. Thank you. Great to be here. Let's start with definitions. Product marketing is often a misunderstood role or changes definitions from company to company. So how do you define product marketing and what are the typical responsibilities of a PMM? I see product marketing really as the GM of the business. So this really has a broad scope, as you can imagine, end to end. But I see us as on one end being really influential with the product team understanding the customer in and out, creating research, market validation, all the areas that they need to really build the best products and features available. Then on the other end of the spectrum, that is launching products, bringing messaging and positioning to that customer value, understanding how that impacts everything that you're doing in and out throughout the product life cycle. So managing that, iterating on it, making sure that you're changing things when it's not working or going haywire and really managing that business end-to-end from the input to the output and then in a full circle. Um, you know, you have a really cool role at Adobe, head of product marketing for Lightroom. What does your role entail? What does your day look like? This is such a fun job. And this is actually my first time in consumer product marketing. Lightroom is a really beloved photo and video editing app. And it's used by millions of people all over the world. And we have... Creative Cloud version, we have a mobile version, we have a web version and an iPad version. So whenever we go to market, it's 
a lot of features that are coming that we need to really be able to communicate. So I just went through one of the first launches that I've run on this team, which was a really fun experience. So part of my job is running launches. Part of my job is making sure that we really deeply understand the audience that we're serving. So from hobbyist photographers to professional photographers, what really makes them tick and kind of everything in between. I'm sure every product marketer listening will agree. There's not really like a day to day that is the same, but on a given day, you might find me reviewing qualitative insights that we have from a recent persona review, working with our campaign team to develop the next amazing campaign that we have. Of course, working with the product team to understand the ins and outs of the new features that are coming down the pike. And maybe throwing in a coffee with someone, a one-on-one on the growth team to understand what we can do to make the experience even more impactful for our customers. So there's never a real set schedule. And I think that's what I like about PMM is you're working with all these different teams. You're seeing everything end to end. And it's a really fun job and a really fun position. Yeah, I bet. So how did you get into PMM? If we can get a little bit of your background Yeah, absolutely. So I was lucky in that I was able to make an internal move when I was at Google. So I had expertise in a certain area, digital display advertising, and I'd been wanting to make a jump from the sales side to marketing for a while. And this was at a time where product marketing was just starting to get its legs. There wasn't a ton of content out there about it, but I kept hearing about product marketing internally sounded like a great position for me because it took a lot of the parts of the sales job I really liked. Objection handling, creating narratives, actually figuring out how to message what we're offering to customers. And it packaged that up. So started interviewing and ended up landing a role with a really similar product focus to where I was an expert at the time and just kind of went from there. Is that common to go to product marketing from sales or are most product marketers coming from marketing or product backgrounds? I've heard such a range. So I have a podcast called Women in Product Marketing and you'd be so surprised. I've had people that have backgrounds in account management and sales like I do, but also former chefs, former reporters, former engineers, former online poker players. So there's not one linear path to product marketing. And that's kind of what's so fun about it is that You have people that have just a lot of curiosity for a lot of different parts of the business. Usually they are really great at collaborating. They're really great at understanding a lot of inputs at once and making a strategic plan from that. So it brings people from kind of all walks of life that have stumbled upon this career. And I'm one of them. (laughs) And I bet your sales background, being an account executive, working on the sales side, gives you a leg up on understanding how sales requires product marketing to deal with objections and messaging and all of that stuff. And it's one of those roles that there's no degree for it, right? People kind of come into it from other areas. So there's a good case to be made that product marketing should be the first hire at an early stage startup. The first the first marketing hire, sorry. Would you still man that argument for us? Yeah, I think it kind of depends on the stage that you're at. I think that product marketing should be hired within the first 20 employees. So if that means that you needed to get a content marketer to help get the website up before that, um, go for it. You know, uh, But I do think that a senior product marketing person should be an early strategic hire because you really need to figure out how you are messaging that product. Do you have product market fit? 
If not, what will it take to get us there? Hopefully you do. And that's why you're expanding and hiring a product marketer at that point. But I do think having it as a really early hire, I think it depends on the business though, because sometimes there are other things you just need to get stood up. Maybe you need to run an event. Maybe you need to get the website up like I was talking about, but it does need to be something that should be early and not slapped on at your hundredth employee. Yeah. Of course, every business is different. Every startup is different. But I think that the crux of that argument, at least from my perspective, product marketing is that bridge of really understanding what the product is to customers and understanding the customer, understanding the go-to-market. So before you can have channel marketing and the execution, if you don't have that stuff in place, whether it's a full-time hire or not, oftentimes you're putting the cart before the horse. Uh, let's jump into product launches, which is, of course, the uh, topic of your book, which I absolutely <laughs> loved. It's really, uh, you. you know, tactical. There's no fluff, really useful to marketers and founders as well at any stage. So what are the key elements that lead to a successful product launch? So I think one of the main things is just really making sure that you have your day C really figured out. So driver, accountable, consulted, and informed. Who is on your launch squad can make or break your team and make or break the execution of this. I think secondly, really getting that strategic plan in order and then shouting it from the rooftops, being really clear about what you're doing, what the channels you're impacting, how you're measuring it, and speaking to it as much as possible. And then third, and I think what's a really tricky point for a lot of new product marketers in particular is nailing that launch timing. Once you get that launch date on the calendar, and hopefully it's around something that can be a bigger bang, a customer event, or some release that really makes it connected in a meaningful way for your customers, how do you stick to that launch date and not slip? And how do you make sure that it has the most momentum as possible? So those three things are really the foundation of a successful go-to-market. Cool. Well, I'd like to drill into all three of those, but let's start with the first one. You said Daisy. I'm used to hearing <laughs> Racy. Is there a big difference between those or it's a rebranding? No, it's whatever you want to say. I actually, I think I called it Racy in the book, but responsible yeah. instead of driver. So same, same, same. <laughs> okay. But the point there is to make sure that everybody has a role. Everybody on the team knows who's responsible, who needs to be involved in decision-making, who needs to be informed. When it's a smaller team, you know, it's a little bit easier, but people also take for granted at the early stages, like communication just happens by itself because we're a small team and we can just holler across the room or post it in Slack. But even at the small scale, oftentimes things get overlooked because there isn't a good structure for that communication. And I think that's something that you emphasize a lot in the book is I think you prescribe that 10% of your time is spent on internal communication. Yes, because often at those small companies, you have the ear of the CEO, you have the ear of the CMO, they need to be in lockstep with what those launch channels are that you're going after, and they need to be really on board with it. So I think that it's really critical at any stage company. Right. So one of the springboards or launch pads for startups is oftentimes events, industry conferences, South by Southwest, and sometimes it's those platforms like Product Hunt, Kickstarter, things like that. Any specific considerations when you're dealing with a launch of that kind? Of course, if it's an event, there's a hard date in there, but any other considerations or advice as relates to those types of launches? Yeah, it's definitely a double-edged sword to launch at an event. And I've had a lot of experience launching 
at customer events. So I think that that's where you can get the most bang for your buck. If you have an existing customer event that already has your audience, you already have the machine set up for press, for all the other activities. If you have that, that I think is the best option to do. I think launching at bigger events like South by Southwest that you mentioned can be a little tricky because there's so much noise happening there. So you'll need to find your really unique angle and your audience and make sure that they're going to be available to receive the message when there's a flood of potential other messages coming up, like CES, there's always you know this, this flood of information coming out. Um, so just making sure you have a unique hook and you can understand how not you know the mass market is going to receive your your launch, but maybe how your specific audience is going to get it and how it's going to really cut through the noise. I think the thing that can be really motivating for some product teams, but also can be a big detractor is having a launch date tied to an event, because then you put the budget down, you can't get that refund back. Like it is, it's really important that you hit the date. So when you're doing that, you need to be really in lockstep and having that really locked in Daisy to make sure you understand do we feel really confident we can hit this date? Do we have the ear of the VP of engineering or the CTO to make sure that this is going to be technically viable rather than just working one-on-one with the PM? Is this something that we really want to make sure? And having on your milestones, the date that you can't get that budget refunded, because once you put that event invite out in the world and start moving the machine, it becomes a lot more painful if you don't have anything to talk about at at that moment. So I'd say just... The cautionary tale of events, it can be a really big boon for your launch, but you have to really make sure you're buttoned up that you're going to hit the date. Definitely a double-edged sword. It acts as a forcing function, but an event is a hard date and there's deposits and there's caterers and there's press and there's all sorts of factors that if you miss it, you miss it. So something to keep in mind there. What's the relationship from your perspective between go-to-market, GTM, and launches? Are they one and the same? They're often used interchangeably. What are your thoughts there? So I think go-to-market is definitely a broader term that can be defined by your audience. So how are you going to market on a more consistent basis with your always-on product marketing to that specific group? You can create a go-to-market strategy that has several touch points. And a launch to me sits within that. It's one of the moments of the go-to-market strategy. So it's one compelling moment that might drive the go-to-market strategy for the year that really has everything buttoned up, your positioning, messaging, your target audience, all the channels you want to activate on. But I see the launch as a moment and the go-to-market as more of an over-encompassing strategy. I agree with you on that. People <laughs> mistake relaunching with go-to-market, but launch is one component of your go-to-market. And there's lots of other pieces that need to be put in play. You know, I talked to Derek Osgood from Ignition a couple months ago on the podcast, and we talked about launches. And he said the most common mistake that startups make as it relates to launches is just not launching, that they don't take advantage of the opportunity you have with product launches. And they just assume that their customers and their target audience is paying attention whenever they release features. Do you see that as common that startups just aren't launching? And why do you think that is? And what can they do differently? Such a good point. I love how he framed that. And I'll give an example. I think that that's totally accurate. So I joined this company called Social Chorus before I worked at Adobe. Really brilliant people, about 100 folks and a product team that was shipping. Like every two weeks, there were new features coming out. And when I got on, 
there was kind of like a backlog of things they've never talked about for the past six months. And it's just because they didn't have the capacity. They were moving so fast. They didn't have the time to slow down and say, how are we going to communicate this to our customer base? So they were kind of doing one-off things. Like they'd send an email every time a feature launched or like an in-product notification or something. But what I decided to do is take the launch backlog that we had. It was about 12 features that were really meaningful and impactful to the customer and bundled it and came up with some great messaging and made it into a launch moment, a proactive post-launch moment. And we pitched it out to several trade pubs. It ended up getting a ton of press. We were able to talk about it to our prospects, write a blog about it, do a lot of activations. And it kind of made this moment. And that's when the team, I think, really realized the power of launching that, oh, wow, if we're really thoughtful about this, it can actually think through the messaging and the strategic direction of what we're doing and tell that story out into the world, our customers will come along for the journey and we'll get more prospects interested. I think sometimes they don't do it because they don't know they can or they don't have the resources or they're just moving so fast that it's like, oh, we didn't even think about how to pull this all together. Yeah. And one thing that stuck with me from what he said in our conversation on the topic, and you go into it as well in the book, is the difference between launching and releasing, right? So you mentioned at Social Chorus that the product team was shipping, and that's awesome. Good startups ship. But just because you're shipping product doesn't mean that you're launching. So the difference between releases and launches, lots of releases can be packaged together into a launch, for example. And also you talk about tiering in your book. If you can kind of break that down as well, because I thought that's really important thinking about your launches in some sort of tiering structure. Yeah. A release is it's available. A launch is you're doing something about it. You're making that moment happen. I think tiering is so powerful. At every company I've worked at, we have enabled a tiering system. You can name it whatever you want, but the TLDR is that there's a highest level, the large launch of your platinum launch. That's usually a new feature, something that's really impactful or game-changing to your audience. Then there's a medium-sized launch that maybe doesn't have all the bells and whistles, but it's still something a lot of customers have potentially been asking for. And for that, you might do blog posts in customer communication, but you're not going to do the full press, the full event for that level. And then your minor launches or your small launches are really, you know, they can be a button color change or a bug fix or things like that. And often I like to bundle those and package up any of those that are really meaningful with some of the other tiers to make a story. But that's when you can have release notes or that's when you can have in-product notifications or notifications to a subset of customers that this will really affect, but those aren't the ones that you need to shout from the rooftop. So I think a good way to go about it is to just write out what your launch activities could be, write out examples of your large, medium, and small, and then kind of make that impactful for your business so you're not running around treating every bug fix at the same level you would a new product launch. It's just a way to make sure your resources are really prioritized. Right. Large, medium, small, gold, silver, bronze, call it whatever you want, but have some sort of differentiation into what you're presenting out into the world. Can we get a little tactical on that? Because it's such an important point. First of all, how often would you do a tier one launch? Is that once a year? Is that once a quarter? Also, what are some of the tactics that you might associate with a tier one launch versus you mentioned some of the tactics on tier three? A press release, is that a tier one thing, a tier three thing? Yeah, definitely. And not to confuse everyone, but you might even add a tier zero or your platinum level above all of this that happens once a year. That's like literally everything you got going towards one launch. So you might even have this upper level. But generally, I say tier one is about once a quarter. 
Tier two, you can do twice a quarter max, and then tier three can be as often as you ship. So thinking about tier one, that's the press release. That's the sizzle reel. That's every communication channel that you can utilize. Tier two is just that pared down with a little bit less of the focus on press. You might not do press for tier two unless it's something that you're bundling. You probably wouldn't put extra marketing dollars into any creatives or anything like that. And then tier three is really, you're going to be as efficient as possible with those. So you could use launch notes to keep your customers in communication. You could do a release email that bundles these up once a month, something like that, that makes sure customers know about them. But it's, it's definitely not to the rigor or to the level that you would those other launches. Right. And just going back to events, those are often associated with like a tier zero or tier one launch. Think about Apple with their developer conference or the Adobe Summit and those kind of big events where you can really make a splash and leverage the attention that you're getting and the customers that are there. Can you talk about the role that market research and customer feedback play into the launch process? And I think this is going back to launch being a piece of go to market. And of course, go to market and your marketing strategy starts with the customer. So what are some of the components that you've seen, again, breaking it down for early stage founders and small marketing teams at early stage startups? Yeah, absolutely. So I think market research and customer feedback is so important. And that's where PMMs can actually deliver a lot of value. Because as we've talked about, product is often running so fast, they're working on building things. Sometimes they don't have time to do as much of the customer research that they'd like to. So this is where PMM can help either working with contractors to do the research or running interviews themselves, running quant surveys, things like that. But I think for every launch, you as a company need to decide as part of your milestones, how much research and how much customer feedback you want to get in order to move through certain gates. So there's probably you know the preliminary PRG where you're creating the use cases, the audience segmentation, you've gotten to this point. So you probably have some general idea of what the market is hoping for. But then when you go into the alpha stage, PMM can really help with collecting that customer feedback, understanding themes, even testing messaging. So we can also throw in our own things and to test through that and help to package that back to the product team as well. And that can go forward into the beta phase and then finally have all of that customer insight baked into the final release, which will include messaging, but also things like the feature requests or the navigation or the way that the customers have actually revealed that feedback. So I think it's really important throughout the launch process. I think PMMs also play a really critical role with things like persona development, market insights, other research that can really help buoy the entire organization. I totally agree. The one thing I'll add, though, is that not all startups have necessarily a PMM. Sometimes it's a marketing generalist that's wearing multiple hats, and sometimes it's just a founder. But those key components that we talked about, talking to customers, doing the research, creating the personas, and aligning the messaging with that, somebody's got to do it. So whoever's, whoever's yeah. there, oh, the take that and run <laughs> with it. Yeah, exactly. What other mistakes or pitfalls do you often see startups making when it comes to the launch process? Yeah, there's a lot. I jokingly say I want to start a podcast just called Launch Fails, where we all talk about the launch fails that we've had. Because if you haven't failed in a launch, you probably haven't been doing product marketing long enough is what we talk about. But I'd say definitely measurement. So tying it back to the ultimate impact, I think is something, you know, why are we doing this? What is the point that we're actually doing this launch? Why are we putting these resources? What are we hoping to actually achieve? I think that's a really big part of it. 
I think the second, especially for smaller startups, is not really defining their audience. And this is really key because if you don't understand the audience, it's really hard to obviously develop a product for them to challenge that they're facing and what your product helps solves. But how are you going to communicate with them if you don't understand your audience? And so just really being crisp on that, you know, not just the demographics, but, you know, what role do they play at a company? What are their motivations? What are their hopes, dreams, and desires? Really getting deep and understanding that audience, I think, is critical for understanding how you're going to go to market. And that is a mistake I think a lot of founders make, especially because they just want to go as big as possible. They want to go for everyone. And that's not how you win market share. Right. And for B2B, sometimes we define the customer or the target as a type of company, but there's a human within that company that you need to be speaking to and make sure that you're identifying that individual as well in your targeting, not just the company. You mentioned metrics, and I've heard you give a really relatable anecdote about one of your first launches at Google where you had done all this work and gotten a bunch of press and social media excitement. And then at the end of the day, your VP asked, so what? Like, what did we accomplish here? What are some of the key metrics that startups should be thinking about monitoring, measuring during the launch process and post-launch? How do you recommend startups think about metrics and data when it comes to launches? So I think about it in a couple of different ways. And obviously, it's a little bit different for consumer marketing versus B2B marketing. But for B2B marketing, and consumer, I'd say ARR. Ultimately, you want to see, did this have a revenue impact for you? On the B2B side, I usually look at two things. One is sales pipeline. Does this impact the sales pipeline? Are we able to get more conversations on the books because of this launch? And so looking at things like white paper downloads, webinar attendance, even like contact fill-in forms, did that actually lead to more meaningful conversations that our customers or prospects were able to have with the sales team? And then following that down the pipeline, of course. So if you have MQL tracking, this is one way that you could do that. And then for consumer marketing, I would say that we're really trying to understand not only usage, which is really helpful for B2B too, but also did this move the needle with our freemium business? Did this move the needle with our free trial conversion? How did we actually impact this customer segment that we were trying to reach? And did that have meaningful impact that will then down the line help us with ARR? So really getting tight on those and making sure you can track it and making sure that you're executives care about it too, and that it's going to show this meaningful path to your ultimate goal as well. Yeah. And it sounds like there's not necessarily one specific data point, although usually things tie back to revenue ultimately, but it sounds like the key thing is to be thoughtful about it ahead of time, know what the goal of the launch is, and therefore tie a metric that will measure, are you achieving that goal? And being rigorous about having that check-in and not just like, okay, we achieved the launch, we're going to have our launch party and then forget about it, that have that post-launch check-in and measurement to see you know, how are we doing and what can we learn from what we did, right? Yeah, Absolutely. Can you share examples? You talked about launch fails and agreed every launch has some fails, whether the customer sees it or not internally, you know, what went wrong. But let's flip the coin and talk about successful launches, whether you've been a part of them and if you could talk about it or just launches that you've seen that stood out to you. Can you share some examples? So one I saw recently that I really liked and I'd love to have the budget for this also was Instacart. So they 
went to market with a brand new product suite in the fall. And I think it was Instacart Plus. And it was this beautiful product release tied in with a campaign where they actually had Lizzo involved in it as well. It was a really cool moment for Instacart because to me, it also positioned them differently than just like, oh, hey, this is the app I use to get groceries. But it helped you understand as a consumer, this is an app I can actually use to compete with Amazon and maybe get local goods instead of using Amazon for everything. So I thought it was really cool because it had celebrity, obviously, a beautiful campaign, but also announced some features in a really compelling and usable way. And it had Lizzo actually like using the product. She could get bath balls delivered or her groceries, of course, but then some fun things for her pets and decorations for a party. It was like everything that you'd want to actually ever have delivered to your house came this way with this new feature functionality. And I just thought that was a really brilliant tie-in with campaign marketing, product marketing, and I'm sure they had a lot of energy put behind the product rollout too. Their CMO, Laura, was on my show about a couple of years ago. So it's just fun to see her step into that new role and really come out with a bang with that new campaign. That's awesome. Unfortunately, though, we can't all afford Lizzo. So for startups with limited budgets, what are some cost-effective ways to promote and market a launch, either to generate pre-launch buzz or just for the launch itself? So I'd say, you know, use your existing channels. Do not forget about email. It's highly impactful. Creating content like white papers and webinars is still a really highly effective way to actually get the word out and get really interested in and capture that contact information so you can follow up. And then having kind of like a lighter scale event. So one example of this, when I was at AdRoll, which is now called NextRoll, it was about a 500 person company. We had a really successful launch for our company called Prospecting, which also helped us reposition from one trick pony retargeting into this full suite of performance marketing. And we did that by utilizing all of the existing channels that I just ticked off. But also we had a smaller customer event, about 100 people that we were really able to elevate. We captured a lot of customer stories at that event. We did a press release around it. We really made it seem like it was this huge, big deal. And then we also used that moment to do a brand refresh, which isn't necessary, of course, for every launch. But because it was repositioning, we had an internal creative team that helped us do that. And you could work with a vendor to do that too. And that might be getting into more budget land. But the point is, utilize your existing channels, whatever you end up doing, shout it from the rooftops and give everything more legs, give it more momentum than it is just on its own. You know, how do you make that event live on? Can you record anything that you're doing webinars with the founders and have that be an on-demand artifact that lives on a website that people can give their contact information to download? You know, it doesn't just have to be this launch moment. How can you repurpose a lot of the launch elements that you're creating? to then have this more holistic go-to-market strategy that we've been talking about. With creativity, sometimes your budget can go farther than what you have in terms of the impact. So whether it's some creative video that might go viral or get some play on social media. Another thing that I think you mentioned is leverage the customers that you have. So if you launch something in beta and now you're launching it publicly, get some case studies of those beta customers and the successes that they've seen, publish those along with the launch. And of course, that testimonial and that social proof really goes a long way in promoting the product. Um, 
You were at Adobe prior to Lightroom. You were head of PMM at the ads product as well. And you have a pretty deep background in ad products with AdRoll, now NextRoll, as well as at Google. Any thoughts on kind of the digital ads industry, where it's going, especially with all the changes that we've seen around privacy concerns? Where do you see the digital ads industry moving forward? It's so interesting. I mean, I had a lot of conversations about this a couple of years ago when Google announced that cookies were going away. And I know that now that's installed a little bit, but that's still on the horizon. So I don't know if I have any predictions, but I'm just really super interested to see where the industry goes. I think that there's going to be a little bit of a throwback to some of the techniques that were really impactful back in the day, like content targeting and really segment and targeting. I think that there's going to be a lot more creativity around measurement. Besides looking at the individual cookie user, I think there's going to be a big push towards like cohort analysis and understanding behavior in that way and what can be more impactful. But I think it's still going to be a wild ride. I think what's also really interesting about the ads industry is that it's so innovative. I loved being in that side of the space because with every new innovative push from all the social platforms, so Instagram Reels comes out, you know, TikTok is coming out with a ton of new features, the ad industry really has to respond. I'll be really interested to see how it continues to expand with such a fragmented social environment and fragmented consumer environment in general. You can do advertising, of course, on connected TVs now. And there's this huge proliferation of devices and proliferation of different partners that you can work with there. So I think it'll be interesting to see if there's more consolidation within that space. So if you want to go to like a one-stop shop to view everything, or if you'll still need to go to one provider for your display advertising and one for your connected TV advertising. So no predictions here. I'm just really interested watching from the sidelines now because there's a lot going on and I'm I'm interested to see where it lands. Yeah, it's definitely fragmenting and changing. Although one nice thing is that for the first time in the history of social media, there is a medium short form reels that works across every platform. So if you create that, you know, 60 second kind of vertical video, it'll work on TikTok, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, whatever. Great. Oh, I didn't realize that. Finally. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's one <laughs> silver lining right now. How is uh, AI changing your business right now? Such interesting question. I'm really fired up about what I can do. I think that it remains to be seen, but you know, I play around with Jasper AI and ChatGPT. I'm just super floored with what it can do. I actually wrote a fake novel based on adventures my husband had. I wrote like a couple of chapters and sent it to some friends, and it was just so funny. And then I used AI to create a cover of it. It was just obviously like a funny project that won't see the light of day, but just fun to see what it can really do. I think as far as our industry, I've been having a few conversations about product marketing. It can help solve for a lot of things that are super tedious, like market landscape, understanding that competitor really well, getting an idea of customer sentiment. You can just type stuff into chat GPT and really get a good understanding of that. And then some of the kind of more rote work that we do, like translations, when we write copy that's going to go in app, the process for translations is really complicated. So today, can AI actually help with some of that more rote? But I do still think that there's going to be a really important part for PMMs to play in terms of developing the strategy, 
really understanding the customer really well and helping to create that overarching strategy that AI can't take away. I think it's just going to help us elevate because it'll take away some of the more rote work that we won't have to do anymore. So that's my hope for it. Um, I did do a recent poll on LinkedIn and I asked everyone if they're using AI for their work already. And only 4% of people said they were not or not thinking about it. So that was pretty telling that a lot of people are already using it in some way, shape or form. Yeah, definitely a game changer. And it's so exciting to see how quickly things are developing. And Adobe is also leading in releasing new products in the space. So really exciting to see how things develop. I'm really enjoying this, but we're coming up on time. So we're going to jump into the lightning round. I'll ask you some questions. Let me know the first thing that comes to mind. Sound good? Yeah, sounds great. So aside from Women in Product Marketing, which is a great podcast, what book, podcast, or newsletter do you find yourself recommending most often? Well, I love April Dunford's book, Obviously Awesome, about positioning. I think that's really great. My good friend, Yasmin Terehi, also has a ton of product marketing books from launches to PMM interviews. So I think she has three books now. So her content's really amazing as well. And one podcast that I just personally love is called Invest with the Best. And it's a deep dive every day or every week into people that have made it and their stories behind how they got there. So it'll be Jeffrey Moore and how he thought about crossing the chasm and Kat Cole, how she built brands at Cinnabon around the world. So it's a really interesting deep dive with these amazing operators that have done it all. Yeah. Patrick's podcast, Invest Like the Best, one of my favorites. Totally agree with you there. And I didn't tell you to say this, but I'm glad you gave a plug for April because she's going to be on the podcast soon. So I loved her book and I'm looking forward to talking to her about it. What's a productivity hack that allows you to stay on top of everything that you've got going on in your life? I don't know if I have one hack. I have two small kids too. So like productivity sometimes is not here, but I do try to make focus time. I think that's really important. Twice a week, I have that deep focus time for two plus hours in the morning when I'm at my best. So I can actually get some serious work done. And then especially now that I'm a mom, I've found that it's really important that I spend about 30 minutes in the morning to go on a walk or do something where I'm actually not listening to a podcast. I'm not typing. I'm just out and not thinking about any of that. And I think that that's really helped me to be centered and to be able to be my best for everything that comes your way during the day. I love that. I'm going to steal one of your questions. What have you learned recently? What have I learned recently? Such a good question. So going back to the basics, I think that that is never too basic for you to actually think through. So I had a launch recently and there were some things that I wish I would have done a little bit earlier in the process that it would have made it a little bit smoother. And I know this, I wrote a book on this. So going back to the basics, I think is really important when you're planning a project, when you're planning a launch, when you're thinking of anything that you can do, just making sure that you're just spending the time to check all those boxes and everything will be a little bit better. Even if you're very advanced in your career, just go back to the basics. Well, we all make mistakes, so we'll let you off the hook. What's the proudest moment of your career so far? Oh, wow. That's a good one. I've had a lot of proud moments. I'm probably the proudest though, when I see someone on my team get promoted or just really kill it at a project. I spend a lot of time mentoring the people on my team and to me, when they're, they make it to that next level or do a fantastic job out there in the world, 
that makes me so happy. And even the people that I've managed actually now, one woman, Prachi Mishra, she's now a director and she just got that promotion. And I was like, yeah, like she's killing it. So just knowing that I've been a very small part in some of these folks' journeys is just really great. And it makes me feel like my work has mattered and that I've made an impact. Absolutely. Love that. So Mary, I really enjoy this. I loved your book. I love talking with you and learning from you. Thank you for spending time with us. Where can people find you and any final thoughts or advice you'd like to share with the audience? Yeah, absolutely. Well, check out the book. You can visit productlaunch.pro to see more about it and some other podcasts and things I've been a part of. I'm also on LinkedIn, pretty active there. So I'd love to connect there. And I'd say, don't be afraid to launch. Don't be afraid to do big things. I think that it's just about getting organized and you can do it. And don't be afraid to fail. All of us do. I think that that's part of the learning process and you'll learn a lot from it. Awesome. I'm going to put that link in the show notes. Thank you, Mary. Appreciate the time and insights. And we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Thank you. That's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening. I really enjoyed that conversation and I hope you did too. We've got many more amazing guests coming up on the podcast. So don't forget to hit that follow or subscribe button so you get notified when we release new episodes. My goal with this podcast is to share practical knowledge with startup founders and growth practitioners. Let me know how I'm doing so far and how I can improve this show. Hit me up via email at hello at pmfpod.com or find me on LinkedIn or Twitter. I always love to hear from you. And if you're loving this podcast and want to help us spread the word, please leave a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you love to listen and share it on social media. That really does help. Finally, don't forget to check out growth.co, that's growth without the O.co, if you're considering a fractional CMO for your startup. Until next time, wishing you rocket ship success in your startup journey.